Howdy, everybody. Pay attention. This is David Bax. And this is Tyler Smith. And we're back with another BP Movie Journal. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're doing things a little bit differently. You might notice some trepidation in our voices. Yeah. Uh, but that's because it's because I'm a big dumb idiot and we have to do things a little differently than we normally do this week. But uh, it should be fine. Everything seems to be, we seem to have figured everything out. All systems go? Yeah, but we got to power through this because we got a guest coming for our main episode. And uh, we have a, this is like a double movie journal because we took. I know. uh, We took uh, the last week off because of the holiday. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks for filling in. Thanks to Scott and I. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I guess I'll I'll just start with what I've seen. Okay. We're going way back to the day after we last recorded. Okay. When I saw The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. I saw that. Did not, uh, did not fail to. uh, further my interest in this series i loved it i really enjoyed it you know it's one of those things and i feel bad because it's not the fault of the film that the nature of it is that it's not this one isn't meant to be satisfying it's everything about it is a build-up is that which really, i'm fine like, with i feel like we could do a whole episode on because this has become such a thing this idea of it sure has, yeah and it it bothers me not in the least. I talked about this on the Screen Bites podcast. I'm sick of the conversation about does this work as a movie? Yeah, Who it's cares? not. It's I'm not bored a, by that it's conversation. It's not a flaw. I, it, yeah, it just means bother. that it's not personally satisfying for me. Uh, but still, it is. But see, it, to me, it can still be. Uh, you know, I <clears throat> I talk about The Sopranos from time to time mm-hmm. being thought of as a super heavily serialized show, right? But usually having clear beginning and middle ends in each episode usually and, and but what i'm saying is even if it, there's not a plot that begins and ends in mm-hmm. every episode it has the emotional beats yeah of a story and i felt emotionally satisfied by the end of mocking jay part one this feels to me like oddly enough not harry potter 7.1 but obviously uh, oddly enough harry potter 6 um, okay that's um half blood prince, right? prince yeah where it's there are character developments within that and that's very exciting but uh but it just like there from an from an arc standpoint because each certainly each film has been all right there's an overall three movie or in this case four movie arc for Katniss and Peeta and that sort of thing and that's fine but there has also been arcs within each film uh, and in this one, it feels like her arc has been cut off, uh, as, it, as it should be, because it is a part one. And while it cuts off in a way that she's like, it's not frustrating, it's it's invigorating. It makes you, mm-hmm. it desperately makes me want to see the next film. I wish that it was six months from now instead of a year. Um, that's a, that's a long time. It doesn't bother me. I don't know. Yeah, you're flies I just, by. We're I just, old now. I just forget, I, I forget things. Right, right. You know. I don't know. I think there is... Have you read um, the books? I forget. I read the first book and I didn't like it very much. I like okay. the movie better. So I was like, I'm just going to stick with the movies. Okay. Although our friend, um, our friend Amy Nicholson said in her review of Mockingjay that the books actually get better. She says Mockingjay is the best of the three books. That is interesting because um, our, our friend Josh Long says exactly the opposite. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I would like to... How, how many times can we say interesting about this? Um, but I feel like... Everything about the, this is interesting. The, the arc here is Katniss, as much as she's uh the symbol for the revolution which becomes mm-hmm. very much literalized here but as much as a like galvanizing figure as she's been since the first movie in mm-hmm. the world of pan m she's never chosen to be that in fact she has often kind of fought against it she right. wants to she she has a strong moral compass but she doesn't have the same 
political motivations or political indignation that other people have. She mostly just wants to take care, take care of the people that she cares about. Right. And, and this one being that, PETA primarily. Right. And that has fomented these, these revolutions. But I think the arc of Mockingjay Part 1 is her recognizing the effect that she has and not wanting to fight it anymore. Not, not necessarily embracing it. I think maybe that's to come. Right. But making peace with the fact that she has an effect on people. People are going to do things because of the things that she says and, and yeah. does, and including possibly dying for yeah. for her, quote-unquote, her cause. Uh, and she's. I think the journey of this film is kind of making her making peace with um the implications of what she represents in this world and the next mo- the next movie will be her acting on that i think what i like about the film series so far is, and about katniss as a character is she functions very well with a focus uh in the first film it's okay i'm doing this to protect my sister and now i just want to survive very driven, very motivated, very focused. Second one, it's okay. I want Peta. I want Peta to live, and if I can live too, that'd be great. But he, that's the goal. This one, what I like is that. I mean, it's a revolution. Obviously, they have an overall goal, but how do the how do you even begin to achieve it? Especially when you are sort of a figurehead more than anything else. So what I like is that her character, she does have goals. She has. But she doesn't. But so much of it is out of her control that you can see her flailing for the first time in the series, which is very exciting to me. And over the course of the of the film, you you see like everyone's just kind of they're just kind of casting a wide net as far as what they think might work. And over the course of this film, you see it get narrower and narrower right, right, right. until it's like this is what needs to happen. Right. And yeah, that's, that's I like that a lot. And yeah. and like you said, I think the next film will be about okay. Now we know what we have to do. So right. we should move on. Yeah, what's next for you? Uh, I did see uh, – I've saw. i seen a lot of films uh, okay. in, well, the last, in the last couple we weeks. So uh, I saw Big Hero 6, okay. which I enjoyed tremendously aside from – and you know what? Predictability is not the worst thing in the world. But after a certain point, um, when you can – I'll say this. If you can predict a solid three or four beats out mm-hmm. – that's maybe a bit much for me. Uh-huh. And towards the end, there was a thing where I'm like, okay. And I wasn't trying to be this, but in my head, I was like, all right, based on what I know about the Iron Giant and every <laughs> other movie, uh, this, 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 and this will happen. Oh, wow. And I got to the end of that thought, and it all started coming to, coming to be. And I don't think I willed it into existence, but I can't rule that out. <laughs> yeah, you might have um, that <laughs> But uh but yeah, uh, it's it's a nice visual marvel. Um, it feels like a nice. I'm I'm a big fan of the animated superhero movie, as it turns out. Um, uh, I right. thought aspects of Despicable Me were interesting, although that's a supervillain movie, and I didn't see the second one. But and of course, I love The Incredibles, and this seems like a nice companion film to The Incredibles, sort of like The Little Brother. Um, not as good, but visually very striking, and so I, I actually liked it quite a bit. Uh, I saw Jean-Marc Vallée's Wild, a movie yeah. that I was that I went into with high hopes, and it ended up being even better than I hoped oh, it would be. It's it's fantastic. It's yeah. one it's one of the best movies of the year. It's one of the most fully uh, realized movies of the year. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know where this comes from. I think it maybe comes from a subtle, ingrained cultural sexism that mm-hmm. people. Uh, were already before it came out dismissing it as a eat pray love type of movie. Oh, see, I saw it as more not just because of the title. It always seemed like more of a, a, a you know, like a chick into the world, uh, into the wild. You right, know? which I compared it to in my review. It's yeah. much, it's better than into the wild. I think I'm being facetious um, when I use the word chick. By the way, right? I know. Okay. <laughs> um, 
But uh, I, I think just the fact that it's a memoir, it's based on a you know true story mm-hmm. about a woman's you know overcoming odds or whatever yeah. and it's and because it's a woman like there's this treatment like people are dismissing it b- b- out of hand beforehand in a way that rubs me the wrong way uh, and that i find kind of sexist but i haven't i haven't seen eat pray love i have an i idea, did i have an idea of what it is um and wild is not that i will tell you uh, again i'm re- referencing my paraphrasing my review but the opening scene will definitely make you realize okay this is not like a lifetime movie this is not eat pray love uh, i won't go into specifics about what the opening scene is but it is the movie jumps around a lit time wise the, the the opening scene takes place mid journey in which we see some of the physical effects of walking for hundreds of miles oh nice okay uh, and it's uh pretty grody well there there are physical <laughs> effects in eat pray love for example she gains a little weight when she's eating in italy right that she prays it off no, I think she keeps okay. it. Okay. So, and then um, the the prey tends to go away when she just finds a man. Man, that's a terrible film. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, what's next for you? Uh, next for me, uh, I'll just be jumping around a lot. I think so. Next, I'll go with the documentary Whitey, oh, okay. which is about uh, Whitey Bulger, and uh, it's on Netflix, and it is actually very interesting because, uh, you know, I, I've I've known who whitey bulger is for a while he's he for a long time was this really interesting crime figure because of his relationship with the fbi mm-hmm. and you saw and he was kind of a, a, a sort of a an inspiration for the jack nicholson character in the departed right, right. um and so and that's the thing it was so ingrained in people that he was an informant for the fbi using the fbi to get his enemies out mm-hmm. uh while still getting a certain some immunity on his part, well, he was finally arrested, and the trial was interesting because his defense had less to do with saying he's they weren't saying he's not a murderer, he's not a drug dealer, he's not a mob boss. They weren't saying that they were trying to, but not really. <laughs> what they were saying is that he's not a rat, which is very, very interesting, wow. and trying to use the trial to bring um certain corruption in the fbi to light and it's it's fascinating because you come to realize that almost in the way of like uh the dark knight where um at the end harvey dent of course he's mad at the joker but he's much more angry at the more inst but he the joker's crazy mm-hmm. he's more angry at the mob for letting him off the leash and and that sort of thing and that's and and enabling him and so it's a film that seems to get of course it has plenty of condemnation for whitey bulger it it starts off with a guy telling a story about how he this guy worked very hard to set up a, a bar and you know pay for it all on his own and then within like a month there's whitey saying hey uh we were hired to kill you mm-hmm. by these other bar owners but i tell you what if you give us money, we won't. Uh, and it's just this, and it's and it's horrible. Um, but it also says there's a lot of blame to go around, not just for this guy. It's a very interesting. It does a lot of what I like a documentary to do, not unlike capturing the Freedmans, in that you never, you can never quite know what the truth is because literally everybody involved is invested in their version of, uh, in you accepting their version of the truth. It's a very interesting film. Okay, I have one to talk about okay. that you have seen, you reviewed. You liked it more than I did. I okay. didn't hate it. It's called Birdman. Yeah. Uh, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I liked a lot of things about it, mm-hmm. but I was left 
um, a little, uh, well, a little worn out by the end of it. It's it is tire- exhausting. Yeah, tiring film. Um, but a little turned off by, uh, I, I know this in many ways doesn't seem like a, an obvious comparison to make, but it rubbed me the wrong way in some of the same ways that Fight Club does. Okay. In that I feel like, first off, I feel like it's somewhat hopeful, hopeful ending is kind of a cheat or is kind of phoned in that it didn't actually earn that. And I feel like it spends an hour and 56 minutes of its hour and 59 minute runtime. Well, I guess not counting credits, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, being really cynical about how everyone in the movie is completely full of shit all the time and being kind of smug about it in a way that, so it, it, it exhausted me in two ways. One, because just it's a, it's a visceral movie that I think, you mm-hmm. know, you can't really relax and sit through, uh, and in a good way, but also, uh, I think in its point of view, it kind of wore me out a little bit. I, I got sick of not liking anyone. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because while I do acknowledge that that is a deeply cynical film, I actually, there are moments of, I think, genuine humanity. Edward Norton and Emma Stone on the roof. There's a couple scenes uh, with them on the roof, and that usually works for me. Uh, at least, at least, uh, like, I think he's more, ge- compared to what where, what we've seen him And I think that's elsewhere. the problem, is I think it had gone too far to get me back. I think oh, interesting. The uh, Edward Norton, as much as I really, really respect his performance. It is pretty great. Uh the, the character had lost me by the time he gets up to the roof, and I wasn't – I guess I wasn't willing to see him become more human. I, you didn't I want think, to see him become more maybe human. Maybe I didn't. Is that it? Maybe I didn't. Okay. Uh, that, sorry, that wasn't execution. I thought that's what you were saying. Um, sorry, uh, that wasn't an accusation. Sorry. But, sorry uh, no, I, I guess um, I, I wasn't – the movie would have had to do more than it did to drag me all the way back to being interested in this guy. I think by uh, – I think by because I do think that Emma Stone is a very human character. I think she I don't think there's she's a little bit full of shit as everybody is. But I do think that she's pretty genuine. And so by uh, by having the idea of her bringing this out in him, I feel like she is maybe our entry point into him. Uh, But because but I, I agree if it was just if it was just night and day and he was just like this sometimes and like this other times, then it seems like, okay, one of these is an act and I don't know which one it is. But I think that by having it be associated with her, I think it, it explores this idea that, um, that just we're all different depending on who we are with. Um, this is brought by the way, uh, we can, we'll probably be going more into this, uh, later on, like in the year. Okay. Um, just well, because say, we don't have a whole lot of right. time to get into it. Can I say it? one more thing though? Sure. Uh, that I think is a perfect encapsulation of what I'm talking about. Emmanuel Lubezki, the, the cinematographer for this film mm-hmm. does an amazing job technically. Yes. But I feel like there's something about his presentation, the way the, the use of wide angle lenses and the shading and the, the color timing and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That's almost a little too graphic, almost like a little too like, like it's a manga, manga or manga. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Okay. Like that I think aids in the distance in, in, in it, it makes the film feel further from humanity to me because the presentation of it doesn't feel real. I did have the me. thought that it feels like we're watching a stage play, which is to say movies are meant to be re- real close and realistic. And we're meant to be look at it like that. But I do think this feels appropriately, perhaps like a stage play. Um, I, I don't think that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm saying it feels more like a Zack Snyder movie <laughs> in that okay. it's, it's so overproduced in some ways that, uh, it's just, it's, 
there's no cracks in its surface. So smooth, there's no cracks that I can get into. Oh, if wow. Makes sense. I had a very different uh, reaction, especially when it comes to uh, Michael Keaton's uh, character and performance. Um, okay, right. we What's can move on. Uh, I will jump into. I did just see The Homesman. Oh, yeah? Uh, directed by it. Tommy oh, yeah. Lee I want, Jones. I want to see it. Uh, did you see Three Burials, Milky Out Estrada? I love it. I think that's a great movie. The Homesman is not as good. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is a weird director, and I don't like to put it that way. I like to, I don't like, to, but it's just, I, I, I kind of love what he is as a director. Just that, if if ever you could make an argument that there's a director whose films are an an, an extension of his persona, it's Tommy Lee Jones, unknowable, kind of funny sometimes, <laughs> and you think. There's a lot going on here, but they're not going to give me a lot of hints. Um, there's there's a minimalism, but almost a surreal minimalism, if there is such a thing, to uh, the way he directs and the way he uh, writes. And his films can be quite beautiful while also being very stark. Um, it's not a – I don't think it's a great movie. I think there are some major script issues and just general storytelling issues and pacing issues. Um but he directs actors like nobody else. Uh, his performance is very good. And most people have only been hearing about the film as a function of Hilary Swank's performance. And rightfully yeah. so. She is great. It is fascinating, given that she has won two Oscars. And she's about to be nominated for a third, probably. You think? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it's weird how many people do not talk about her as one of our greatest actresses right now. I think maybe there's there there tends to be like some space in between performances, but when I mean of course she's amazing in Boys Don't Cry, and I yeah. think she's great in Million Dollar Baby, and I've seen her in a few other things. But um, and then seeing this, when people talk about act, uh, actresses of a certain generation, of course that we tend to go British, um, but as far as American actresses, I think she is pretty amazing. While often while she, this sounds mean. There is a certain uh, masculinity to, masculinity to her, which is probably why she was cast in Boys Don't Cry, and then could play a tough as you know a very tough boxer in Million Dollar Baby, mm-hmm. and then the character or the in next this, Karate Kid. or the next Karate Kid, absolutely, and then in this, she's a very self sufficient woman in the old west. So there's a toughness to her that I think makes people not see the vulnerability that she brings to a part um, that really is that is inherently. I don't mean to say inherently feminine that like men can't be vulnerable and women can't be strong, but there are these traits that we associate with one gender or another. And I think, and that's how, I think it was on the office where they had this argument. There was an episode where they're having an argument about is Hillary Swank hot. And, and of course there are people that are like, this is a horrible conversation to be having. (laughs) It's actually kind of a funny episode, but it brings up this idea of she's, I think she's an actress that is hard to classify as, oh, these are the types of parts she plays, or right, this is yeah. the type of actress she is. Huh. There's a real complexity to how she uh, approaches characters, and I think the Holmesman really, uh, really emphasizes that. But it's yeah, worth seeing. I just did one of the one of our Monday movie write-ups a few weeks ago, okay. where I made essentially the same argument about Billy Crudup, that people don't take him seriously enough, yeah. and he hasn't talked about it as a great actor when he is. Oh, He's absolutely. Good, but both of them are kind of unshowy. I think in ways that I do in a way and often unshow in, in roles where you almost expect it, like in right, almost like famous Dr. Manhattan. or Dr. Manhattan. Uh, 
but in Almost Famous, he's playing, you know, the guitar player with Mystique, and you expect a certain, you have a certain idea of what that will be, right? And then you see it, and it's really good, but not at all in the way that you expect. And maybe if you're honest with yourself, maybe the way that you want uh, to, see, you know, to see a, a '70s rocker uh, in a supporting role. But, but yeah, so okay, uh, we can move on. Sorry about that. Um, I saw. I don't have much to say about this one because it was a real, real disappointment. Morton Tildum's uh, The Imitation Game. Oh, okay. Which I I have for a couple things in our in our fantasy awards thing. I gotta. I don't think it's gonna do much for me. It's what do you, what do you think it's gonna? How do you think it's gonna do for uh, that screenplay? <laughs> you think it'll I, do okay? I, I don't. I, Damn it! I, I it was just so so superficial and yeah. and safe. Uh, and I mean, it just it's one of the most. It's such a fascinating story, and it gets certain parts of Alan Turing's story. Uh, right, like you know, a lot of the stuff about the code breaking is is interesting. Yeah. But there's so much more about him that it doesn't it doesn't want to go all in in playing the the conflicts and the difficulties. Having it's just and to me, I can't believe it's the same director as Headhunters. I don't know if you saw that the Norwegian film. I didn't. Um, I mean, it's a Headhunters is not going to like. Uh, it's not. It doesn't break new ground. It's not going to make you think. Uh, right. uh, it's not going to make you reflect on life in any serious way. But it's right. a really inventive, really nasty, uh, and really lively movie. Yeah. And the imitation game is just so like dull and workmanlike. Programmatic maybe is the word I'd use. That's frustrating, especially because you know there's a there's a, the code breaking thing and the, the idea of doing it as a thriller while also incorporating aspects of his life. Uh, maybe, I don't know the idea of hiding his, his sexual orientation and maybe even treating that also as a thriller that the idea of that sounds great to me, but it sounds but like that's not what they do. Honestly, his, the the gay stuff, for lack of a better word, is not a big part of the movie. Well, and maybe, that's really, and that's the thing. Maybe they, because I've heard that, and if I'm giving and having not seen the film, maybe they thought, well, hey, it's not that big of a deal. We're not going to treat it as a big deal. It's like, yeah, but it was a big deal for him in the time. And like I mean, in your attempt to normalize, which is a, a good instinct, I think. Right. You're now downplaying a huge part of his life, and it also underplays the tragedy at the end of his life where he was arrested and charged with uh, gross indecency or whatever the charge was and instead of prison he chose chemical castration which is a hor- horrifying oh. thing and there's like one and scene, it wasn't that long ago that's the yeah. other thing that's fascinating yeah, yeah. Um, anyway by the way I do I'm sorry I started to laugh as you were saying something terrible and uh-huh. it's just because when you say gross indecency like because it has to do with like something sexual i could see like the judge being like gross <laughs> that indecency was gross um but anyway sorry i apologize that's okay um okay moving on uh i did recently so i mentioned uh in the episode with scott uh because we were talking about uh lubich that i did recently watch to be or not to be i don't know if you've seen it i never have uh i really loved it um and i won't go into a lot of detail because we had talked about it already but it's it's a film that manages to completely commit to a very you know a very dark premise i mean we're dealing with nazis and the understanding of how horrible they can be while also being kind of a screwball comedy and it commits to both equally and is and never seems inconsistent it's it's fascinating to me okay um that and then another film that i saw uh 
on home video that I don't like saying that on DVD, whatever was RW Fassbender's because like, why don't you like home video? That's what it is. I guess that's what it is. It's, it, it's video because it's like a digital thing. Uh, it's, I think of when I think of home video, I think of VHS. No, home video is a like all encompassing. Just term. everything that you watch at home. Yeah, including if you watch it on demand or okay. whatever. Like to me, I think home video is where we should be going. Okay. In terms of because it covers all the bases. Okay, so on home video, uh, I did watch R.W. Fassbender's Fear of Fear. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of Ali. Fear It's the Soul. I think it's a wonderful film. Fear of Fear has moments of greatness. Uh, and really good performances. It's about a woman who is in a marriage that is not loveless. It's just kind of passionless. And she has uh, a kid already and another one on the way. And as she becomes a mother for the second time, um, she just starts to have moments of paranoia and anxiety and depression. And it's just her dealing with that uh, while trying to be a mom and trying to be a, a wife and and her husband caring for her but not really knowing what to do and his family being really condemning of her. So it's, it's you know, very much a kitchen sink drama. Um, I will say that it felt like a, a lower stakes um, Woman Under the Influence, which is a movie that I love. Mm-hmm. And because, I, because the, it kept reminding me so much of that film but not being as good as that film, I feel like it's frustrating because I need to view it on its own terms. But right. I feel like Woman Under the Influence is about as good as that type of story can be. Um, so I feel bad uh, judging it against that because it's still a perfectly good film on its own with some really great performances. So I would say I recommend it, especially if you like uh, Fassbender and what he's what he tries to do as a as a director. Um, but by and large, I, I found the film to be good, not great, not remarkably compelling. I, I haven't. When I saw Ali Fury, It's the Soul, my mind kept returning to it. I have not thought about Fear of Fear mm-hmm. until right now, uh, and I saw it like two weeks ago. Um, I saw the um, the German entry for the best foreign language uh, film this year. Uh, it's directed by someone named Dominic Graf. It's called Beloved Sisters. And now I don't know, I don't know much about poetry. Well, I don't know much about history. I don't mm-hmm. know much biology. Yeah, don't know much about science books. Like. Not what about the, what about the French? You, what about from? the French you took? I'm, I'm saying I know a lot about science. Okay, just not about the books. Got it. You know where they bind them with. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, more of what like font a... size. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much about science books. Anyway, all right. We're supposed to be on a sort uh, on a schedule here. All right, um, beloved. Okay, so there's a poet, real guy. Mm-hmm. He was a real famous German poet named Friedrich Schiller. Have you ever heard of him? Nope. Me either. I, I don't. I, I wish I knew poetry. Yeah, yeah. I'm a dummy who doesn't know stuff about poetry. I know T. S. Eliot and Shel Silverstein. Um, but I guess for various reasons, most of his correspondence, um, you know, that's people used to back in, uh, a hundred or 200 years ago, mm-hmm. back in those times, people kept their correspondence. Yeah. I guess like I don't delete emails, so it's the same thing. Maybe someday I'll die and people will put like, a cell bound volume of my emails. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so most of his correspondence is lost or burned or destroyed or whatever, um, but there was, uh, I guess, one note that remains from early in his, um, uh, I guess, young adulthood um, that implies that he was had a, had a relationship with his wife's sister in addition to with his wife. Mm-hmm. So based on that one note that, that survives, we now have a three-hour film that posits that... Um, 
the sisters, his wife and her sister knew that they were sort of, they were sort of sharing him. Okay. That's, that's the idea behind the movie. And it's three hours long and it's really good. Actually, it, okay. uh, it, it doesn't crawl along. You'd think three hours would be too long for something like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, I, I don't have, I, I'm going to have to review it at some point and I have notes, uh, from my screening. So I'll have to think. Yeah, if I have a problem with it, it's that I haven't sort of like you with fear of fear. I haven't spent that much time thinking about it since I saw it, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, that was that was pretty good." Yeah, and I haven't really thought about it that much. And you can do since. worse than a movie that's engaging while you're watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it it does uh, present an interesting take on you know um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I guess gender roles in in European society in the late 1700s and the mm-hmm. idea of um, these women with who, you know, make decisions for themselves. You know, they aren't just married. Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, they are married for, uh, for money. You know, mm-hmm. they're society people. I don't know how to put this into words. Like, society people married each other as business transactions yeah, yeah. back then. And so there is that... Dowries and such. <laughs> that sort of thing, exactly. Um, Which was a store back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to like fly through this here. Uh, but the idea that these women made decisions, they had conversations among themselves. This movie more than passes the Bechdel test. Oh, good. Um, had conversations among themselves about uh, about things we don't think about these types of women talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they're not. It isn't just them being, you know, uh, just pitifully, hopelessly in love. But their parents are like, no, you have to marry this guy. Like that's the that's the sort of melodrama we usually get with this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This is a much more. It's much more about their sisterness than it is about. Mm-hmm. Friedrich Schiller. Um and it also, you know, the other sister, the one he's not married to, has a whole has a lot of sexual agency uh yeah. in ways that you can kind of buy uh okay, here's how she's navigating this and maybe because of her status in society she can get away with this a little bit more. Whereas yeah. if a woman of a lower class um had a you know, a lover on the side or was carrying on and such, mm-hmm. it might ruin her in this day and age. Yeah. Um there's a lot of interesting things that it explores and the performances are fantastic. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I, I spent more time on that than I wanted to. What's next? What one? was that one called again? Beloved Sisters. Beloved Sisters. Okay. Uh, I immediately regret that I talked about the movies I liked at the top. See, I just uh, logically. Oh, I, I forgot. I don't keep track and I really should. Um, all right. So I'll talk about... me, actually. What was that? That surprises me. That I forget? Yeah, that you, well, that you don't keep a log like I do. I know because you I, seem like the type who would. I keep a log of like the movies that I've watched that fall into 2014. But I think now because we're doing this, I think I'm going to be forced to to just write down everything, which I think would be good for me. Um, so okay, uh, I will lead with uh, video games, the movie. Oh, okay. Which is a, a documentary, and what it is, it's it's an extensive history of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What was that? I was, oh, this is that Orson Welles documentary all over again, except it's just video games now. It never asks why. It's just a. It's somewhat in-depth as far as just the fact of things. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say that vi- anything can be interesting, okay? I haven't had a console since Super Nintendo. It's, it's in my living room. It's not hooked up yet. Uh, but 
I will hook it up at some point, probably play Super Mario Kart and enjoy the hell out of it. I have an original generation Xbox. Nice. Uh, it's in a closet somewhere mm-hmm. that um, I mostly had to play Dance Dance Revolution. And then my cat, not the cat that I have now, but mm-hmm. the a cat that my ex-girlfriend had. Yeah. Um, peed on the Dance Dance Revolution map. Oh, no. And shorted it out and it never worked again. So Xbox went in the closet <laughs> as it has been for like seven years. Yeah, and so I don't mean to say that video games aren't interesting. Anything is interesting if you do it right. Uh, and in fact, I am interested. I, I do find the the world of video games remarkably fascinating, especially how much they've grown in our lifetime to be this thing that you know outgrosses film by a wide margin. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating to me. And yet somehow, again... They just skim across the surface. Uh, surface. They just tell you facts. And some of the facts are interesting. Like they talk about how there are a number of people that have met some of their best friends. They And sometimes their wives. Um, they have – or husbands, what have you. Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of a friend of mine who met his wife over, I believe, World of Warcraft. They did oh, not cool. live in the same city. Um, and so – it's like, that's interesting. Video games, not even just the internet, but video games have, have allowed people to connect on this level. That's great. Now, why? What is it inherently about video games as opposed to real life or even as opposed to the internet? What is it about video games specifically that causes people to meet in this meaningful of a way? I don't know. And the film <laughs> d- doesn't want to hypothesis, hi- hypothesize. I wish it would. It what, it's what makes a documentary like Whitey so much more interesting is that the filmmaker is curious. Nobody who made video games, the movie, or this, the Orson Welles film I was telling you about, nobody's curious about the thing that they're talking about. They, only, they know that they're going to have an audience and just, hey, we're going we're gonna to praise video games. Gamers yeah. will love it. The end. And it just this is why that's why I, bothers I, the hell out I of almost me. never like documentaries about musicians or bands that I'm already oh a fan sure of. absolutely you know like if you don't know about Big Star see the Big Star movie it's, okay it'd be great for you okay but if you do know about Big Star uh, you don't need to see it yeah yeah um, should we I've got one last movie to talk about I've got a couple more okay so yeah let's yeah let's do we need to take a break no, so we'll that you can okay our, I'll, I'll call this person back okay our guest is here is it the guest I'm assuming okay then all right. I will hurry up and say the last movie that I want to talk about is currently occupying the last place in my uh, movies of 2014 list. It is, as predicted, Saving Christmas, (laughs) which uh, we will be talking about on more than one lesson uh, in a week. And I will say, holy shit, I, I, I feel bad because I went in assuming i wouldn't like it and i don't like to make those assumptions but sometimes they're not a terrible it's just based on it's not a groundless assumption right for a number right. of reasons uh this film is a mystery to me that anybody could make this film the way they do is disheartening it's depressing but fascinating like it's it's a film based entirely on nobody associating it associating with it saying hey why are we doing this nobody ever says it it's because it's kind it's kind of a documentary but they but i feel like a lot of christian filmmakers aren't familiar with documentaries and assume people will find it boring 
So they incorporate like a narrative, but it's a, it's, it couldn't be more half-assed. And the narrative, by the way, is full of ugh, improvised dialogue. <laughs> and just and also there's so much slow motion in the film because clearly – because there's a lot of uh, VO because uh, they're just presenting in, okay. you know, some facts and that sort of thing. Um, but they clearly have more VO than they have footage. So they just stretch it out through slow motion. Oh my. And it's so horrendously terrible. And what – and the worst thing is – it brings up uh, okay so from a christian standpoint it brings up some things that are interesting and some of it is just like hey here's a way to interpret this or this or this uh it goes back and tells the story about like the original like saint nicholas and it's like oh i didn't know some of that that's neat mm-hmm. so there is stuff in there that to me not even just as a christian but i think just as a movie watcher like there's some movie there are movies in here or premi- premises for movies but this thing is so flabbergasting in and what they made more so than i ever thought like you watch that trailer i remember josh and i watched it together and both of us were just thinking like what what are you movie we can't figure you out and then in watching it you'd think we'd have a better handle on it but no if anything it's worse than when we just saw the trailer i have i feel like i can't even call it a movie if anything it's like a 20 minute video supplement to a seminar uh-huh. stretched out to 80 minutes <laughs> just through the use of slow motion just through <laughs> it is it is it's literally just a movie played <laughs> at one third speed or one quarter speed <laughs> Kirk Cameron is like well let me tell you about Christmas and it's just it is so horrendously mystifyingly terrible <laughs> And that's the thing. I'm I'm being as negative as I can be right now because I want to try and keep a good attitude on more than one lesson because right, right. I because I feel you want to actually talk about exactly. Right. I want to really delve into it. But here, I have the freedom just, to just talk about what a piece of shit. But that's not just it's to not warn even people that. away. No, you've got to see it. <laughs> okay, see. We all have to see it. Not to laugh at it though. There's that, but to just marvel that this thing could ever be made. The way it is. Right. It's a movie made by people who understand that there are movies. And that's where it ends. <laughs> They've maybe awesome. never seen one. Now I have to see it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm going to burn through some stuff Okay. Here. Um, well, now, you and I have both seen movies that we can't talk about. Indeed. Uh, the only reason I bring it up is to fuel rampant speculation. Oh, good. Among, among our listeners. <laughs> trying to figure out. I want them to try to this? figure out what well, movies. I could give a quick review, but not say the title. <laughs> um I don't want to do that. Okay. Um, oh, I saw it's not it's not at the bottom of my list, but very near the bottom of my list is um, the new film directed by uh, actress Liv Ullman called Miss Julie, starring Jessica Chastain, Colin Farrell, and Samantha Morton. Oh wow! Okay. Great cast. Yeah. They're the only people in it. It's based on a play. Okay. Um, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I don't I don't understand why. I don't understand why Liv Owen wanted to make this movie or why anyone would want to tell, yeah, to adapt this play or tell this story. Liv Owen, remind me who that is. Persona. She's okay. Like, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. All right. So she's um, older at this yes. point. Okay. Um, I, but I don't, it's flabbergasting to me. The movie's two hours and 15 minutes long. It's <sighs> the, 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 the scenery chewing starts right away and does not let up. It's unbelievable how, and I have to, if it's that, because these are great actors, mm-hmm. Jessica Chastain, Colin Farrell, Samantha Morton. Yeah. These are people you can Absolutely. rely on. So it must have been in Liv Ullman's direction that they just, like, 
I'm sorry, I'm telling you that scene two, Colin Farrell is like, like hitched, hitched breath, you know, shaking, and then it just goes up from there. Is the material? I forget. Are you able to like see past performances to the script itself? Like, is the script good? Well, it's a it's um an adaptation of a play, right? And I think here's what I don't compare it to Beloved Sisters, which has a very contemporary look at a past okay. time. Yeah, this one doesn't, and so the fact that the entire movie pivots, the entire story pivots on this Miss Julie, this upper crust woman. Mm-hmm. Um, having sex with and uh i you know you're to assume losing her virginity to her father's butler okay uh colin farrell Mm -hmm. it turns to that point and then her life is ruined and it's nothing but gnashing of teeth and wailing oh my the rending of garments garments. that sort of thing (laughs) um and it's just it's hard to get it's so uh, it's so opaque from a modern point of view to be like why are you acting like this yeah it doesn't make any sense. Uh, what about if you look at it through the lens of maybe they're trying to make a, just a crazy melodrama? Well, I I don't know if melodrama is the right word okay. for what it is. Because Kabuki theater? <laughs> maybe I should look up. I should be more clear about the definition of kabuki theater. Oh, okay. And then say if I'm if I agree with that because that okay. sounds right. But because it, it's not in melodrama, lots of things happen. Right. This is not a lot of things happening. Oh, okay. So very little actually happens. It's just emotions. Yeah, and it gets. I mean, there are there are things I'm not going to spoil that are ridiculous. Oh boy! I, but I'll tell you this: they shot it on location in a real sort of uh, estate from the time. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing in Ireland it takes place. I mean, the assumption is that it takes place in Ireland. Um, and uh, the location is beautiful. The cinematography, the the photography is beautiful. It's the same DP, the Russian guy who shot Leviathan, which you talked about. Oh, okay, talked, yeah, we talked about with Scott a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, so from a presentation and technical standpoint it's actually fantastic Mm -hmm. but it's still two hours and 15 minutes but i'm not getting back you know what it reminds me of and i forget i I incorporated this into a a review that i wrote recently and i don't remember what it is um do you remember the old snl sketch with uh john lovett's called tales of ribaldry (laughs) it sounds like that especially when you have like colin firth uh, sorry colin farrell as the butler you know uh as like the the working class irish butler i would have to assume um it just reminds me of that um, and then so I, you had one last movie to talk about? One last movie, and then uh, I do have. I want to mention something in the TV realm as well. Okay. Real quick. But uh, I finally, finally saw. Speaking of long movies, I finally saw Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Did okay. not disappoint. It's fantastic. It does not feel like two hours and forty five minutes. Okay. It flies by, and you don't even think about like. It's so fun to think. It's yeah. You know, I again, I talked about, and you talked about Fear of Fear, and I talked about Beloved Sisters movies that did you like but don't really think about yeah i haven't stopped thinking about boyhood and it's so much fun to think about interesting uh all, all the different things that happen in the movie and just trying to imagine the making of it which is not necessarily something you want to do when you it's you don't want to think about the making of the movie while you're watching it right. and i think there's a lot of temptation you would think there'd be a lot of temptation to do so in boyhood because it's making is such a uh, drawing point mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um but you don't think about that it it it's not there aren't clear points of demarcation like it's not like chapter two a year later or whatever mm-hmm. um it's all one movie that sort of you know edits from and you just sort of have to pick up you know there's usually a, a few clues in whatever the next scene a, yeah. a lot of them are physical clues like oh he has peach fuzz now or whatever yeah. um but there are some clues and you're like okay some time has passed um but it's not uh like specifically 
I don't know. I, I feel like most of our listeners have probably saw it months ago. I and still have not seen it. I know it. you haven't. Um, yeah. I'm behind the times, but I, uh, I think it's really, really great. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. I guess we can talk about The Amazing Race more next week. Um, I will say uh, um, I uh, last night, we're recording this on a Thursday, last night my friend Reed got voted out of Survivor. Oh. Um, he made – he. you know what? He had a great plan last week, and then one guy who I normally like but is not does not have a great head for the game, in Tribal Council, he said one thing, and it ruined everything. All he did he, – all he said was stick to the plan, except what? people didn't know there was a plan. Yeah, that's stupid. It's stupid. The guy got – rattled he thought that reed was actually saying something against him when in fact all reed was doing was as they had agreed setting up that hey we're all voting for him because he's got an idol so this guy apparently did not remember this thought that reed was just coming at him and said and i don't remember everything but he he goes i would just he'd say i would just say stick to the plan it's like you moron! What a moron! So this guy's still on the show. This, this guy's still on the show. Oh, but the result of that is that his son, who he was on the show with, his son got voted out that very vote, and then read the vote after. Oh man! So oh man! So it's so frustrating to see your friend who's doing good, like doing a really good job on the show, get screwed over by one person who just didn't get it in that moment. Um, I just want to. I, I watched uh, Hello Ladies the movie. Okay. Um, which is uh, a pretty standard rom-com. I think it's um, – I think there was an Adam Sandler movie a few years ago uh, that was about where he gets someone to pretend to be his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. Right? Isn't there a movie yes. like that? Uh, I can't remember. It's go, uh, go With It? Just Go With That's It? A, that sounds Something right. Like that. Yeah, yeah. That's essentially the premise here. It's a pretty standard rom-com premise but aided by – Fantastic jokes and performances. I laughed out loud multiple times, and it's only like 85 minutes, so that was nice. But what I really want to talk about real quick is the brief return of Adventure Time. It's been off for a while, and I don't know when it's coming back for for real, but um, uh, (laughs) uh, it came back for a handful of new episodes for the week of Thanksgiving, part of Mm -hmm. Cartoon Network's Cornucopia, they were calling it. Oh, nice. Um, And... I don't know, like, I know everyone likes Adventure Time, but I don't, like everyone who watches it, but I don't know why we're not talking about it as what it is, one of the great works of art of the 21st century so far. Oh, jeez. It's unbelievable how consistently good and how consistently getting better. Like, the show's been on an upward slope since the beginning. It's in season six, and not only has it not flagged, it keeps getting better. Hmm. And it's, at this point, people talk about, like, I love Louie. I don't know if you've watched some of Louie, right? And people talk about how it's so great that Louis essentially FX gives him the money, a certain amount of money to make the thing and then right. goes and he makes whatever he wants. That's essentially what Adventure Time is at this point. It's no longer, I mean, more often than not, the stories aren't even about Finn and Jake or right. they aren't, or, or at least they especially aren't about Finn. The one, yeah, when they are about Finn, they're not even the best episodes. Like uh, Dentist was one of the new ones, which was the least of the batch that they uh, came out with. Um, they're, like you, you. I mean, you have to. It's tough to make a case that this is for kids. Yeah. You know, there's. I mean, there was an episode that was. Um, 
I guess you could compare it to Inception because it was about dreams within dreams, yeah. uh, but it was so <laughs> convoluted in its eleven-minute story that as Inception should have been, uh, right? Uh, but that that you're like, okay, clearly this, you know, there's colors and there's jokes about butts or whatever, and that's that's for kids. But clearly, this is not a show for kids. Yeah. You know, um, Jake has a speech about seeing his friend die and his entire like reality paradigm shifting and him like almost like graduating to a new plane of understanding because of what he's seen. And then he says it was pretty cool or something like that. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's an unbelievable show and there, there literally is nothing like it. Uh, I don't know if there ever will be again. Once they add, once they uh, add more uh, episodes to Netflix, I will, uh, I'll be right on top of it. Do you know that, um, it was just recently announced in the past couple months. The creator of the show, Pendleton Ward, mm. is no longer working as showrunner. He works on the show as one of the writers and storyboarders. Oh, okay. But he's no longer in charge. Interesting. Which is really interesting. Like, so the guy who created the show still works for it, but now it's become this thing that is collective and kind of can kind of be whatever it wants to be week to week, depending on which which person's in in charge of it. And that... like, some, sometimes the visual style of the show actually looks different. Yeah. Um, there was one um, a few months ago called uh, Food Chain that I guess you wouldn't have gotten this chance mm-hmm. to see yet. Uh, one of the best episodes they've ever done, completely standalone. But it has it looked weird. <laughs> uh, it didn't look like Adventure Time entirely. It was all the characters, but it had a weird... Uh, I, I don't know enough about animation to be able to talk yeah. specifically about the differences. But um, the, there's no show, Louis included, that is as daring, as formally inventive, and as consistently rewarding or deep or thought provoking as adventure time. I think it's the best show on TV. I know I've been saying that about Hannibal for uh the last season. Yeah. And Hannibal is great, but I think adventure and maybe this is just because there's some distance. I mean yeah. Hannibal's going to be starting in a couple months yeah. in a while, so maybe I'll uh switch back, but right now I'm feeling like Adventure Time is the best show there is. That's how I feel. All right. Um we did that pretty quick. I guess so. Yeah, but we got to get our guest. So, yeah. um thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.